You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. The future glory. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This morning, starting at verse 18. Um, as Jimmy was saying last week, it's, it's one thing to have you know, a Bible on your phone and stuff, but it's something different to have like the physical Bible in front of you. You can get your fingers in through the, through the pages, you, know, you can carry it, you can really feel the weight of it, right? And if I preach something that you don't read in front of you, it makes for a pretty decent weapon. So just chuck in this direction. Just kidding. Don't do that, they cost a bit. Um, Anyways, open that up in front of you. I encourage you, this passage we have before us is one that is just dripping with gold. It's one of those passages that we can just, I don't know, just be in for hours and never get tired of it. In it, we are reminded of the character of God, the human experience, the experience of life in this world, and the hope that God has promised us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so to begin, Paul writes for us in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now what a statement he makes there. He just starts with that statement. That our present sufferings, the sufferings of this present age, this history, this whole life is not worth comparing with the glory that is coming. Now this, this verse alone deserves its own sermon series, if I'm honest with you. But I, I just imagine, let's be honest, that people will read that and they'll be like, surely this guy can't be serious. This guy has to be joking. What can possibly be worth the suffering that I'm going through right now? The, the suffering that our present age is just filled with, everything we see around us. And I'm sure this is something we can all relate to. 
I mean, the earth is filled with suffering. Now, I know you guys might be looking pretty on those colorful chairs in Caroline Springs, but I, I'm not going to pretend like you guys don't know what suffering is. If you don't, if you've never experienced suffering, turn to the person next to you. I'm sure they'll be able to tell you what suffering is like. Jump on the news for 10 seconds and you'll see it. Around the world, we might, we might see it so many times on the news, we just become desensitized to it. But the massive amounts of people being killed in the Middle East by terrorist organizations and governments that are at war with each other, child sex trafficking in parts of Asia just above Australia. In Sudan, a few days ago, a girl is sentenced to death after killing her husband who raped her. Even in our own country, in Australia, seven people found dead in a murder-suicide near the Margaret River in WA. How messed up is that? The Royal Commission in our own churches, their findings on the sexual abuse within the church and within schools in Australia. And these are just recent stories, stories in the past few weeks. There's thousands of years of this kind of stuff we can dig into. I mean, what kind of world is this? This should break your heart, right? We've probably seen it so many times we don't care about what's going on in the news or what's happening over there, but how about our personal sufferings? This is something we can all relate to. I know I can. Last year, almost all of last year, I was battling with depression. It came pretty suddenly near the beginning of the year, and so I had no idea what to do. It was a busy time for me. I started studying at Ridley. I was doing an internship here. I was working full-time. So I was like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to be sad. I'm a busy guy. i got stuff to do. But the first doctor I went to see told me to go to the cinema. Told me to go see some friends. Needless to say, I didn't see any more doctors after that. Um, yeah, it was just a dark time. I remember just coming home from uni and just standing at my front door and just looking at the door just be like, how did I even get here? Like just amazed that I didn't jump in front of anything on the way home. I was so confused, so angry. I remember thinking to myself, surely nothing can be worth what I'm feeling right now. Nothing is worth living like this for one more day. And Paul who writes this letter to us, of all people, knows what suffering is. In Lysha, as you read in Acts 14, people are sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they're gods because they're doing these miracles. And Paul, Paul is, is saying, nah, turn to the living God, don't sacrifice to me. And as you read, it says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Paul in Lystra is stoned so badly for preaching Christ that people think he's dead. Now in the next verse, of course, we, if you read along with it, Paul gets back up and he walks back into the city. Doesn't learn his lesson. But let me tell you, you know you're suffering when people think you're dead and then try to dispose your body somewhere. Now Paul just continues like this. The whole New Testament is filled with Paul's suffering. Up until church history tells us he gets beheaded in Rome 
Now, friends, I don't know how many of us have been thrown outside of a city or beheaded in Rome, but this is just part of what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be human is to struggle. Friends, but as our passage this morning teaches us, this is not just a human experience. This is a creation experience. Paul writes in verse 22, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. All of creation, friends, humans included, are groaning together as in the pains of childbirth. Paul writes, we're all suffering together. I mean, look at the volcano in Hawaii. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool seeing like, all the lava come up in the air. And, but that, that lava is destroying everything in its path. And even while we're, we're sitting here right now, it's spewing all this gas into the, the air that could kill you if you breathe it in. Earthquakes and tsunamis killing thousands of people at a time all around the world. We're constantly having to immunize our kids because little bugs are trying to kill them all the time. Taking medicine because our, our own bodies are trying to kill us. Maybe it's just Australia, but the bush is dangerous, the desert is dangerous, the sea is dangerous. The world in which we find ourselves is full of death and decay and suffering and hardship. Which just begs the question, friends, why is it this way? What is going on? Now this isn't a new phenomenon, this isn't something new that Paul is introducing here. This is something that has been with us right from the beginning. In the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first humans disobey God in eating that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This act of disobedience, humans deciding that they know better than God, brought into the world sin, and from sin, death, just as God promised them it would. And as Paul tells us earlier in Romans, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. And every human being since has been plagued by this sinful nature that brings to us nothing but death. Now this doesn't just stop with every human, but it spreads to all of creation. God declares to Adam in Genesis 3, this is God speaking to Adam, he says, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, just think about that. That because of man's disobedience, the very ground he walks on is cursed. Right? Does it ever occur to you that when you're driving on your way to church, the, the road you're driving on is cursed because of you? No longer does the earth function in harmony like it did in the Garden of Eden, but instead it is our enemy. We are at war with it. We're going to have to fight it if we want it to, if we want to get anything from it. Everything, not just humanity, not just animals, but all of creation, the sky, 
the stars, the sea, the mountains have been corrupted by sin and death. And as verse 19 tells us, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In all of its suffering, in all of this destruction that we see around us, all of creation is waiting for God's children. What an incredible image that is. That God is calling all of creation to wait until his children are revealed. If that doesn't fill you with awe at the power of God, man, I don't know what will. All of creation, the moon, the stars, every animal, the trees, imagine them like guests at a wedding, right? The music starts playing, everyone stands up and looks back, and they're all waiting to see, to see that bride walk down the aisle. That bride, the church, Jesus died for with his, he paid for with his blood, walked down the aisle. And so creation waits eagerly in suffering. And why? Paul goes on to explain to us. He says in verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration, that is, meaningless, uselessness, that word, there. not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Friends, creation waits for the church of God to be saved so it can be free from bondage. As it stands now in this present time, creation, as our passage tells us, is in bondage to decay, to death. The physical world is in chains. Friends, this means that we shouldn't be surprised right, when, there are, when volcanoes erupt. We shouldn't be surprised when earthquakes and tsunamis kill all these people, when people are killing each other in the street. When, our, when we face illnesses, when our bodies are trying to kill us, we shouldn't be surprised at this. The physical world is in bondage. It's a slave to death and to decay. We shouldn't be surprised at any of this, and we shouldn't be at peace with it either. Death and decay isn't natural. There was no death in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't face any depression in the garden of Eden, right? They didn't have to immunize themselves in the garden because things were trying to kill them. What we experience right now on this side is a result of slavery, of bondage. Our hearts should break at this. We should cry out to God. How long, Father? How long, O Lord? Just as creation cries out, we should cry out with creation. But be encouraged, friends, that while we suffer, while we call out to God, He has given us hope. God has subjected all things, all creation, to frustration in hope, as verse 21 tells us, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There is freedom coming, friends. There is glory. God has promised us a hope. As we read earlier, all creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Creation is in labor at, the, at this very moment. Verse 23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. Friends, we are in labor with the rest of creation. Inwardly, 
groaning inwardly, waiting for the day when our bodies will, will be redeemed, when all of creation is restored. Suffering, creation is restored. All of creation right now, though, is suffering in the pangs of childbirth, waiting for that child to be born. Happy Mother's Day. In case no one told you. My mum was here this morning, so I made sure I told her. I didn't forget. Let me remind you of the most painful time of your life. But no, nah, but you mothers know the pain of childbirth, right? Some of you have known it more than once. My mum's known it five times. Don't ask me why. I don't know. You have to ask her. But one can only imagine the immense pain of childbirth. I asked her on Friday night, Mom, was I worth the pain? <laughs> it's a stupid question. Obviously, I was. But after a considerable pause, she looked at me and she's like, yeah. Like, just like that. Let me ask you mothers. Were your children worth the pain? Kids are looking at you. Yeah. Our Lord says, uh, in, in John, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. You can't compare the pain of childbirth to the amount of joy that comes from seeing those tiny eyes, that tiny nose. Like I see on movies, how they like the little baby raps. I don't have any kids, so all, all my references come from movies. But mothers, is that, is that your experience? Is, can you compare the pain of labor to the child that you have with you, seeing that baby's tiny face? Is the suffering and the groaning, the pain, greater than the joy of listening to that tiny heartbeat? Friends, you and I, all of creation, is in labor right now. Right now there is immense pain. There is, a, there is suffering everywhere we look. Everywhere we're inside, outside, there is suffering, pain. But there is a glory coming, friends. And our grief will turn to joy. As Paul started this passage, he says, the suffering of this time isn't even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. There is hope, friends. He goes on, uh, verse 23, he says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, he says, patiently. For in this hope we were saved, friends, in the hope that our bodies will be redeemed one day that we would finally be saved from death and released from the bondage to decay. This is the hope we have. Hope that has been given us by grace through the death 
burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the Christian friends. This is the hope of all creation. And as it stands, at this very moment in time, this is a future hope. The redemption of our bodies, of this physical world, this is something that is yet to happen. We do not have it just yet. But I encourage you, friends, this hope is certain. Be assured that we have this hope, trusting first in the Holy Spirit and also in the Father's sovereignty who has made you, who has given you this hope. Paul continues in um, verse 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. While we wait for this redemption, God hasn't left us alone. He has given us a spirit which helps us in our weakness. This spirit is at work in us, even while we fail, even while we suffer, transforming us in the, into the image of Jesus, helping us make all of life all about Jesus. As Jimmy talked about a bit about this last week, it's called sanctification. That's just a fancy word for what that looks like. This transforming of our sinful nature into the nature of of our Lord, helping us to put sin to death in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies. Paul writes again for us in 2 Corinthians, he says, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed. But to, the clothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And Ephesians also tells us, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God has given us his Holy Spirit, not just as a helper, sanctifying us, but as a seal, a deposit, a guarantee of what God has promised us. We can have assurance in this, friends. We can have assurance in the promise of God by the work of the Holy Spirit, who not only helps us, but seals this promise. But we should also have assurance in the sovereignty of God the Father who makes this promise to us, who gives us this hope. We should be confident in God's promise because we know that God holds all things in his hands. Right? Verse 28 tells us, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Be certain, friends. That all things, God works all things for the good of those who love him, the ones he has called. All things, friends. Not just the happy things. Not just the sunny days, the things that are beautiful, the things that fill us with joy. Not just those things. All things, the suffering, the pain, the depression, the sickness. These things, the things that make us wish we weren't even born. God is at work in even those things for the good of those who love him, the ones he has called, according to his purpose. 
And Paul goes on to explain why we, why we can truly believe this. How we can be sure that for those who have been called, things work out for good. He goes on. He says, for, I mean, because, he's going to explain something here. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now what do all these words mean? Let's not just skip over them because it's a bit tricky or difficult. Let's tackle this. Because this truth that Paul is explaining to us is a truth that produces in the Christian the most profound kind of assurance. An assurance that is rooted not in our works, but in God's sovereignty, God's control over all things, and God's plan for us. So let's have a look at it. Firstly, God has predestined. That is, God has chosen before the foundation of the world us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This being conformed process is sanctification, like we said earlier, becoming more and more like Jesus, so that we would join Jesus, who is the firstborn, as many brothers and sisters. In other words, God has predestined us to be sanctified in order that we might be God's children. Verse 30, he says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Those God has predestined, he has also called. Right? Now, I've got a little puppy at home. His name's Thor. I come into the house and he runs to me and everything is cool. And then when he's sick of me, I'll, I'll call him, but he'll, he'll look if I have a treat or something like that. I'm like, come on, Thor. And he'll look and he'll be like, nah, he doesn't have anything in him. And so he doesn't come, which is sad, but sometimes he comes, sometimes he doesn't. We shouldn't think about God calling us like that, right? Like, like you're calling someone across the street. God is not calling us like he's calling a dog, that he's just waiting for the dog to make up his mind, holding out a treat, something like that. Right? This is not what it means to be called by God. Think of it instead as Jesus calling Lazarus from the dead. That is what it means to be called. It is a calling from death to life, from, from slavery to freedom. That is the call. That is an effectual call. Those he, who he called, he also justified. Those, those he has called from death into life, God has taken away his guilt, his, 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 uh, his guilt, the penalty of his sin through the blood of Jesus. He has put the punishment of his sin in Jesus who suffered on the cross on his behalf. Those he justified, he also glorified. And those who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb have been glorified. They have received glory. Now notice the past tenses of these things. God has already glorified those he predestined. God sees the end from the beginning. Right? God isn't going to make a decision somewhere down the line to glorify those he's called. 
It doesn't work like that. He's not going to do that. He isn't going to change his mind somewhere along that line. It is finished. He said it. What a beautiful truth this is. Right? We can talk for hours on this. Oh, the assurance we can have as followers of Christ that our future glory is so sure, so secure that Paul writes it for us in the past tense. It's already happened. The promise is unwavering. Friends, stand firm on this foundation. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come, but we look forward to what God has promised us before the world was even formed. Let us trust that God is a God who does what He says He'll do, who will bring about what He has promised. And this glory, this glorification that He promises us, although it is surely promised, although it is certain, we have yet to see it. This is, what we, this is what we hope in, that glorious day when we will see Christ Jesus our Lord, when the roll is called up yonder, that day when the broken creation will be renewed, everything will be restored, our broken bodies will be made alive. There will be no more death, no more decay. When all of creation will be released from its bondage to freedom and glory, this is our hope, friends the hope that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. But Paul writes for us in verse 25, he says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Friends, the hope we have is of a future glory, and so we must wait. The baby is not born yet. We must wait. We wait with all of creation for God's children to be revealed, for God's will to be done. And I know this waiting is difficult. While we wait, there's pain, there's suffering. But friends, we can only wait. There's nothing we can do to speed up the time, right? There's no fast-forward remote on history. We must wait. And so friends, let's not wait in bitterness or in hatred or in doubt or in wavering faith. But patiently, as Paul says, let's wait patiently. Christian, have no fear as you wait for the Lord. God has promised you a glory that can't even, you can't even compare to the, what you're, whatever you're going through right now. This is what God has promised you. Rest on that promise. There is great peace for the Christian in that promise. A promise of deliverance. A promise of joy after the grief. In this promise, friends, remembering this promise, be patient. Right? Patience is not working, it is waiting. Patience is not doing, it is suffering. Patience is not achieving, it's, it's no achievement, it is perseverance. Friends, the battle has already been won. We should also wait prayerfully. God has not left us alone, but has given us His Spirit. A Spirit that is alive and active, transforming us as we wait, helping us to pray, even when we can't find the words, as our passage tells us. When we are in the midst of the darkest times, lift your heart to God. Cry out to Him. Because if we truly believe that God holds all things in His hands, that He has all of history, the beginning and the end, in His power, why wouldn't we throw our worries and our anxieties onto him? 
Because let me tell you, friends, a God that can't see the end from the beginning is not a God worth praying to. Don't waste your time. But if we truly believe that God is sovereign, that he has secured for us a glory by the blood of his son, his own son, how earnest our prayers would be if we truly believe this. Friends, trusting in God's sovereignty, his providence, let us wait prayerfully. Friends, also let us wait purposefully. Our present suffering is not meaningless, right? Remember that our God works all things for good. Our suffering is working for us, friends. Second Corinthians, he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, there is a purpose in waiting. We wait with the rest of creation for God's children to be revealed. God's will is being carried out. We are being conformed to the image of His Son by the Holy Spirit. We are promised a resurrection like our Lord Jesus. But as Christ suffered, we must also suffer. We're not just waiting just to pass the time, right? God's not just resting. He's just having a nap. You'll be back in a sec. This waiting is necessary. A mother doesn't go into labor just so she can lie down in the hospital. She doesn't go into labor just for the fun of it, right? There is a purpose to it. So as we wait, friends, let us keep our minds on God's will, on God's purpose. Friends, in this world, as we wait, in bondage, decay, we will all suffer. Everything around us will suffer. And if I can be honest, following Christ doesn't take this suffering away. If anything, this suffering increases. Following Christ, friends, let me tell you, puts you at war, not only with the world that hates Christ, but also with your own body and your own flesh. Your flesh and your spirit will battle each other constantly. Your body trying to satisfy itself, your spirit trying to satisfy God who has saved it. But friends, let me encourage you. In this hope we were saved. That through Jesus we would be made sons and daughters of God. And that all the suffering, all the pain, all the anguish will turn to overwhelming joy when the glory will be revealed in us. Amen. Friends, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has all things in your hands. That by the blood of your Son, Jesus, our Lord, you have given us life everlasting. And that you have promised us a glory that surpasses all we're going through. Father, we look forward to that day. Help us to be assured that it is coming, Lord. And by your Holy Spirit, Prepare us for it. Help us to wait, Father. Trusting in your promise, your providence, Lord, and your purpose. Give us a joy in waiting, Father. Keeping our eyes on Christ ahead. In whose name we pray. Amen.